Thanks for joining us for the Covenant Living Broadcast with Pastor John Butler of Covenant Life Church, located at 130 Atlantic Avenue in Bremen, Georgia. On today's broadcast, Pastor John Butler speaks from the subject of Understanding Biblical Giving. And now, here is today's broadcast. And, and, if you, and if you do it the way God does it, you're always blessed in whatever area. So listen, don't get nervous. Don't tense up. Don't freak out. We're not, it's not going to be a shakedown. We're not going to have security at the door waiting on an offering before you can get out. But we're just going to dive into the Word of God. We're going to learn some things about giving today. And that's why we're going to receive the offering at the end. Because listen, you can, you, the, the proper way to respond to a, uh, to a sermon about giving is by giving. Right? All right? Like the proper way to respond to a series on prayer is to pray. And so we're going we're gonna to do that today. Everybody all right? Y'all take a deep breath. Y'all were excited just a minute ago. You know, not as much now. But I promise you it's going to be okay. We're going to go to two scriptures. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me. Two different places. John 3.16. So some of you may not have to turn somewhere for that. So John 3.16 and James, the first chapter... In the 17th verse, James 1 and 17. John 3.16 says this. I'm reading, I'm reading from the, from the uh, New Living Translation. It means the same thing. For God loved the world so much that He gave His one and only Son so that everybody who believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. Now let me take, a, let me take just a, a minute here. I said just a minute ago, listen, if you, don't have, if you don't have peace, if it's not well with your soul, you don't have the peace of God, but you want it, then you can have it before you leave. This verse right here is how you get it. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. There's the key to having the peace of God. Amen? Seriously? In a Christian church, that's all I can get. John 3.16, I get seven people that grudgingly say amen. I'm going to give you one more chance. The key to peace with God is in that verse right there. Can I get an amen, please? Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. All right, now don't forget how to do that because there will be many more opportunities in the next 20 or 30 minutes, all right? James 1.17. Whatever is good and perfect comes down to us from God our Father. So where did we get it from? God. And what did He do? He gave it to us. Who created all the lights in heaven. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. Father, we thank You. God, we thank You that You provide a way for us to have peace in our hearts, Lord, that you provide a way for it to be well with our souls, that you speak truth into our lives, you get all in our business, Lord, in our relationships, you get, you get involved in, in our personal integrity, and Lord, you get involved in our finances, Lord, there's no area of our lives where you don't have truth to speak into us. So God, I pray that we don't get all tense and nervous and shut you out. I pray that we be open and soft to hearing what your word has to say to us today about this and every area of our lives. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, listen, if you understood every act 
of God. Think about this. Every, every act of God, every command, you could grasp it. Every trait, you could understand it. If you understood the extent of God's power, if you understood the depth of His, under, of His understanding and knowledge, and, and if you understood His eternal nature, the eternal nature of His existence, but you didn't understand God's love, then you really wouldn't understand anything at all. You can't, you can't separate God from His love. Because if you do, it's impossible to understand Him. It's woven. Love is woven into the character of God. And it's woven there to such an extent that, that the Apostle John said in 1 John that God is love. It defines God. Love permeates God. John 3.16 that we just read says that, that, that so great is the love of God for us that it motivated Him to do the unthinkable. That God loved us so much that He gave His one and only Son for a bunch of rebellious people who, who neither recognized Him for who He was nor appreciated Him for His great sacrifice. But He gave so generously because, because He loved so deeply. The verse in James tells us that, that God's giving was not limited to just Him giving Jesus to redeem us back to Himself and forgive our sins. James tells us that every good thing that we have, that we have ever had, or that we will ever have, comes from God Himself. God is the giver of every good and perfect gift that's ever been received by anybody ever on the face of the earth. And Genesis 1 says that in the beginning there was nothing. There was nothing. But something motivated God to give us light and to give us breath and to give us life in our souls. The motivating factor for God was love. It was love. It was love that caused God to give us Jesus, His only Son. It was love that caused God the Father to give us every good gift. And it had to have been love that caused Him to give existence to everything in the universe. It was love. So let me ask you a question. And it's a loaded question, so don't answer it out loud because there's a follow-up. Here's the question. Do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? And so the follow-up question is this. If you love Jesus, are you a giver yet? Are you a giver yet? Because if you love Jesus and you've surrendered your life to Him, then His love will always cause you to give. You say, give what? Everything. Everything. When, when you're surrendered to Jesus, there is no area of your life in which you get to retain control. He gets it all. If, if His love has permeated your life then you should be giving from every area of your life. That anything that you, that you call your own, anything that you possess, whether it's time or talent or treasure or prayer or whatever it is, whatever you possess, everything that we have, because we're permeated with the love of God, we should be willing to give from that area. Now most people are okay talking about giving their time or, or, giving, or, or giving of their talent. But people start to tense up when we start talking about giving money. Especially when you talk about the tithe. Okay? 
And so today, I, I want to make sure we understand biblically the perspective on tithing and, and teach you some principles that hopefully will help you understand not just the what, but the why. But listen, I understand why people get nervous when, when pastors start talking about money because especially in the American church because my goodness, we've given people plenty of reason to be skittish, haven't we? We have done all kinds of disservice to the Word of God. Most churches swing from one extreme ditch to the other. So you're either in the ditch where you talk about money so much or so incorrectly that it just turns people's stomachs. Or you're in the other ditch where you're, because you know other churches have done that, that you're so afraid to offend people or to, or to associate yourself with that sort of uh, false teaching that you just never mention it. You just don't talk about it at all, which is also damaging to the body of Christ. And so we've got to find what does the Word say and then figure out, just like everything else, we have to figure out how to put it into practice in our lives. We have to not just be hearers, but what? Doers. So if the kingdom of God is going to come and His will is going to be done in, in this earth, then it, it's going to take people who love Jesus so much that they give. They give. So today I want to answer this question. You know, what's tithing all about? What is tithing about? Now listen, tithing means literally a tenth or 10% is what we normally, we can wrap our brains around it a little better. Um, and it started, it started with Abraham way before Moses was ever, hundreds of years before Moses was ever born. Abraham is the one who instituted the tithe because he was so grateful for having been saved and delivered by the hand and the power of God. And it really, at, at the end of the day, that should be what motivates us to give as well. Now, if you'd like to hear more about sort of the origins of that, then I preached a message last year in January as part of the Up series. The sermon was called Give Up. And we go into that history and that background of the tithe. But I just want to make sure that, and that's available on our website and on the YouTube channel as well. But I just want to make sure everybody understands what a tithe is. It's a tenth. And so if you tithe, you bring 10% of your income to what the Bible calls the storehouse. And the storehouse is sort of an old school term for where you get fed spiritually. So if you get fed spiritually here then your tithe would be brought here. If you're visiting from another church, you should take your tithe to your home church. Please don't give it here. Because the tithe belongs to God. It's not discretionary. We don't get to divide it up among the churches and charities and, and things that we want to give. The, the tithe belongs to God, and God says take it to the local church. Take it to where you get fed. And so I want to spend just a few minutes looking today in the Word of God about some principles of giving that are, that are really general principles, but they also apply specifically to tithing as well. Because with God, it all flows from the same place. What is it that motivates God to give? It's love. His love for us causes Him to want to give to us. And so our love for Him should cause us to want to give to Him as well. So we're going to dive into the Word today and find three principles regarding the tithe. And first of all, we find out that tithing is an act of faith. Tithing is an act of faith. And we see this in 1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings 17, 8 verses 8 through 15. 1 Kings 17 verses 8 through 15. It says this, But then, uh, then the Lord said to Elijah, Go and live in the village of Zarephath near the city of Sidon. I have instructed a widow there to feed you. Now, Zarephath, Zarephath is not in Israel. So this is a Gentile woman that he's going to. So he went to Zarephath. 
And as he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks. And he asked her, would you please bring me a little cup of water? Now that was perfectly acceptable in that day. That kind of hospitality was, was understood to be available to, uh, to a, a person that's traveling or a person that's visiting. So he said, to bring me some water if you don't mind. And, she, and, and as she was going to get it, he called to her, and bring me a bite of bread too. Also perfectly acceptable. But she said, I swear by the Lord your God, I don't have a single piece of bread in the house. And I have only a, a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. Anybody been there? I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal and then my son and I will die. Let that settle in for just a second. The situation that she was in, the desperation that she must have been experiencing, the heartbreak of knowing what was about to happen in her life. Verse 13, the response of the prophet's a little surprising if you've never read this. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go ahead and do just what you've said, but make a little bread for me first. Then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. And then he continues, For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, There will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops grow again. In verse 15, She did as Elijah said, and she and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days. Wow. Isn't that an incredible... Listen, that's not a story. It's an event. It happened. It's an account of how God provided for a Gentile woman in Zarephath and for the prophet of God all at the same time. God is an incredible God. He's an incredible God. So at first glance, by today's standards, you look at this, and the actions of Elijah seem cruel, they seem heartless, they seem selfish, and honestly a little arrogant, right? Why in the world would a man of God literally take bread out of the mouth of a starving widow? Well, here's a spiritual principle here that you need to understand. God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. How God does something is not necessarily the way that we would ever conceive of doing it. When He asks you to do something, He always has a reason for it. And because He loves us so much, it's always a good reason. God is only ever good. It is impossible by definition for Him to be evil. And so if He asks you to do something, or if He gives you directions, it's always for your good. Even if appearances... Don't match up. And so why did God want this woman to give Elijah from her a, a part of her last meal? Well, the answer is very simple. He asked her to do that so he could take care of her. So he could provide, so God could provide for her. What do you mean? She was so desperate. Why would God not, God not provide? God is not moved by our desperation. Everything that we ever get from God is received the same way. It's received by faith. God's moved, not by the desperation of our circumstance, but by our faith to receive what we need from Him. When Elijah asked her to make him some bread, it was an act of faith that she demonstrated through her obedience. See, you can say you have faith all day, but if it never shows up in your actions, then the Bible says your faith is dead. 
This woman believed Elijah was a prophet of God, a God she did not serve, by the way, but a God that she, she believed in, that this was her prophet, and this promise of God's provision for her son and for her was the truth. And so she believed it so much that she gave some of what she had in faith, believing that God would send her more. That's really the essence of tithing and giving. It's that you give what you have, believing that God will provide your needs. See, as believers, we have to understand that God's our provider. God is our provider. Not our jobs, not our savings accounts, not, our, not the, the, how employable we are, how many investments we have. God's our provider. And if you believe that, then it only makes sense that you would demonstrate that faith through giving the tithe. You see, when you take the money that you have, which is a finite, limited resource, and you give some of it to God, then you're demonstrating that you believe God will bless what remains and give you what you need, not based on your limited resources, but on His unlimited, infinite resources. See, when you tithe, you're declaring your faith in God to bless the 90% that remains. You say, well, I, I believe in God. I just, don't, I just don't give what I've worked so hard for. So first of all, the only reason that you have the strength and the skill and the opportunity to earn a living is the grace of God. Secondly, everything we have, according to James, comes from God and, and belongs to God. So if He asks for it back, it's His. And thirdly, we'd be hard-pressed to, to demonstrate that we have faith in God if we're not willing to demonstrate it financially. Tithing is an act of faith. It's an act of faith. And there's one more thing about this story that demonstrates this widow's faith. Because tithing isn't just 10%. It's the first 10%. It's the first 10%. So when you give the tithe, you're saying, God... Before I pay bills or buy groceries or put gas in my car, before I do anything else, I'm going to honor you with the tithe, believing by faith that you're going to supply my needs out of your resources and not my resources. See, tithing isn't about getting everything paid and then giving what the last 10% to God. That's not faith. You see it right there. You're giving what you already know you have left. I saw this quote this week from uh, Craig Rochelle, pastor of Life Church, and he said this, What you keep is all you have. What you give multiplies. What you give, God multiplies. What you keep is all you have. What you give, God multiplies. Tithing's an act of faith because you're giving it first. Here's the second principle about tithing that you need to know. It's not just an act of faith. It's a mark of commitment. Tithing is a mark of commitment. Now, I want to take a little bit of a detour from where I, had, I was planning to go with this. And we're going to get into 1 Chronicles in just a minute, in the, in the, in the 21st chapter of 1 Chronicles in the Old Testament. Uh, and I was going to use the, the, the back part of this story to demonstrate this principle that, that tithing is a mark of commitment. But yesterday, I was doing some work around the house. I was painting, and so I put in the old earbuds, and I was listening to Jim Cimbala uh, preach. And, and he, he preached from the, or he mentioned 
the first part of this chapter that I was not planning to reference. But when he did, I saw, immediately I saw the connection. I saw the correlation. I said, okay. So I had to run back and I had to jot this down before I forgot to include all of this together. So I want you to look at the first verse of chapter 21 in 1 Chronicles. Verse 1 says, Satan rose up against Israel and caused David to take a census of the people of Israel. So this was the enemy's attack against the nation of Israel. He caused its king, David, to take a census of the people. Now we take a census every ten years. It's constitutionally required. But it wasn't in those days. And it, comes, it came from a different place. So I want you to understand this. God had always taken care of David. Always. From the time he was a little boy, God had always taken care of David. And he had promised David things he had never promised to anybody else and, and, and before or since. And David's decision to take a census was sin because now at the pinnacle of his might and his strength and the extent of his, of his kingdom, he wanted to see what motivated him to take a census is, I want to see how strong I am. I want to see what all I got. I want to see how many soldiers I've got. I want to see what my, the extent of my might and my strength and my power go. Now I can just depend on myself. Now I've got it all together. Now I'm one of the greatest kingdoms in the world. You see, people often do that with God with our money. When they're broke, they cry out to God and God comes through because they got no other choices, right? they got no options. There's no plan B. You cry out to God, and God provides for you every time. But now, they're stable financially. Things are going better. The storm's over. Everything's good. Got a good job. Maybe a little savings put back. Retirement. Got some investments. Everything's fine. And then suddenly, people just want to look at what they've accomplished. They want to start looking through their bank accounts instead of continuing to depend upon God. Listen, I don't care how much money you've got in the bank or how smart you are or how employable you are or how stable your job description is or whatever, you still need God now as much as you ever did. And if you ever forget that, then you've fallen into the sin of pride and self-sufficiency and you can believe that there's a crash coming in your life if you don't repent. And that's not me judging you, that's the Word of God. Pride comes before fall. And so now I want to show you the back end of this. Because of David's sin, then there was judgment on the nation of Israel, and people were dying left and right. God had sent the, the, uh, the, an angel to execute judgment. And, and so now we're going to pick up the end of the story. This is what David said in verse 17. David said to God, I'm the one who called for the census. I'm the one who sinned and done wrong. These people are as innocent as sheep. What have they done? Oh, Lord, my God, let your anger fall against me and my family, but do not destroy your people. That's the heart of a servant. That's the heart of a true leader. Then the angel of the Lord told Gad, a man of God, to instruct David to go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of this guy, a Jebusite, whom I can't pronounce his name. So David went up to do what... There's another version that calls him Onan. So we're going to call him Onan. How about that? So David went up to, to do what the Lord had commanded him through Gad. And Onan, who was busy threshing wheat at the time, turned and saw the angel there. His four sons who were with him ran away and hid. 
When Onan saw David approaching, he left his threshing floor and bowed before David with his face to the ground. Look at, look at what he said. David said, let me buy this threshing floor from you at its full price, and then I'll build an altar to the Lord so that, so that he'll stop the plague. This is, what, this is what Onan said. Take it, my lord the king, and use it as you wish. I'll give you the oxen for the burnt offerings and the threshing boards for wood to build a fire on the altar and the wheat for the grain offerings. I'll give it all to you. But King David replied to Onan, No, I insist on buying it for, for full price. I will not take what's yours and give it to the Lord. I will not present burnt offerings that have cost me nothing. Was David sincere about this offering? Was he sincere about the sacrifice? Did it mean something to him? Was he committed to this event here, to this thing? I believe he was, and obviously God believed he was because God received the sacrifice, sent fire to burn up the offering. Everything was good. Well, how, can, how can you tell he was committed to it? Because it cost him something. It cost him something. Robbie, did I stop reading before the end of that passage? I did. So God accepted the sacrifice, sent fire, and he, and he stayed the hand of judgment. The angel, it says, put the sheath put the sword back in the sheath. It did what it, was, what it was intended to accomplish. And I think in part, or in large part, because of David's commitment to it. And we could tell his commitment to it because it cost him something. He was invested in it. And David knew that right off the bat. He said, no, I'm not taking what's yours and, and trying to offer it. I'm not going to present an offering to God that doesn't cost me anything. Because commitment costs... Nothing worth doing or worth having comes without commitment. And there's no way to commit to something if it doesn't cost you something. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart is going to be. Now a lot of people turn that around. They say that backwards. Don't get it confused. Look at what he said. Your heart follows your money. Your treasure, where your treasure is, there your heart's going to be. It's impossible to separate your money and your heart. They go together wherever you go. The old saying is true. If you want to see what somebody's committed to, then look at their bank account. See where they spend their money. Because that's where their heart is. You'd be hard-pressed to demonstrate your commitment to the kingdom if you aren't invested financially at some level. Now, guys, let me, let's flash back to the, to the dating days. Y'all remember, remember that? Or maybe some of you guys are dating. So what do you do when you go on a date with somebody, especially somebody you think you is pretty special? You think this might actually turn into something. Y'all remember that? Y'all do remember that, right? Or y'all just like get married on the first date and be done with it. So you remember, hey, this girl's special. I don't know. So you try to think of the nicest things you can do with her or, or, or for her, you, you, you think of the nicest thing you can buy her within your budget, right? You want to take her to the nicest restaurant you can afford, which for me and Valerie was, you know, McDonald's <laughs> most of the time. Um, you, you, nicest thing you can afford, the nicest gift you can buy, all of that stuff. Why? Because there's something about spending your money on somebody that communicates their value to you. If you're willing to do this for me, then, then I must mean something to you. It communicates your love. It communicates your commitment to them. If, if you're committed to Jesus and you want to see His kingdom expand, 
then it should be reflected in your bank account. Biblical giving begins with tithing, but it's not going to end there. The more you give, the more you're going to want to give because your heart's going to follow you. And where your heart goes, your commitment's going to grow and you're just going to want to give more and more and more. Your love for Jesus is going to cause you to want to commit and give to His kingdom. Just like His love for you caused Him to want to give to you. So tithing is a mark of commitment. It's also an act of faith. And here's the last thing. Tithing is a gift of love. It's a gift of love. And I want to show you this in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I want to show you this principle. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul said, So I thought I should send these brothers ahead of me to make sure the gift you promised is ready. But I want it to be a willing gift, not a grudging one. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. But you have to decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need. And then you'll always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the Scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, He'll provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. That's His desire for you in giving. He wants to produce a harvest of generosity in you. Not just in your money, in your time, in your talent, in everything that you have. He wants us to be generous on every occasion. So the offering that Paul was talking about receiving was not, was not a regular offering. It's not your tithe. It was a special offering. So it wouldn't have included anybody's tithe because that belonged in the storehouse. But there's a principle here that, that also extends to the tithe. You see, the Old Testament was about the letter of the law, right? You had the list of do's and don'ts that you had to do in order to find right standing with God. The New Testament's different. Praise God. Can somebody say amen? The New Testament is different. Our right standing with God is found through the finished work of Jesus Christ and what He did for us on the cross. Our life's about grace and about the Spirit. The Bible says the letter letter kills. It's the Spirit that makes alive. And so let me give you an example of this. You know the commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. So you're faithful to your spouse, not just because it's one of the commandments, You're faithful to your spouse because you love Jesus. You want to demonstrate His faithfulness and His love, His integrity in your life. You're faithful because you respect your marriage and you know your marriage is a testimony of of how the world loves, of how the world is supposed to see the love of Jesus. And you do it because you love your spouse and because you don't want to hurt them and, and you don't want to violate their trust and possibly because you don't want them to kill you. But listen, that's a completely different thing than doing it because God said you had to. Isn't it? Ladies, help us guys out. That's a completely different motivation, right? Completely different than doing it because you have to. Oh, I ain't going to cheat on you because God said I couldn't. (laughs) Nice. Thanks, babe. Motivation makes all the difference in the world. Tithing giving is the same way. It's a gift of love. You give because you want to. You give because you get to. 
You give because you understand the why and not just the what. You say, but either way, am I not still giving 10% of what I make? Yes, but the motivation is completely different. You're not doing it to obtain right standing with God. You're doing it just because you love Him. It's a gift of love. And see, a lot of people talk about the blessings of God when you give. And there's scriptures for that. And we just read that, didn't we? So that's part of the deal. God does bless us when we give. But that's not the heart of the matter. That's not why you give. The heart of giving is not about receiving. If you give in order to receive, that's not giving, that's investing. Tithing and giving to the kingdom of God is about, it's about love. It's about love. God gave to us, not so we could give back to Him. Think about that. For God so loved the world that He gave. Well, what were we going to give back to God? We got nothing God needs. God doesn't need anything. So He didn't give to us in order to get something back because what in the world would we ever give in return to the God of the universe? He gave because He loved us. Plain and simple. Period. If we're ever going to have the character and the nature of Jesus in our lives, we've got to learn to give. Not because we have to. Because we love Him. Because we love Him. Jeff, wherever you went to, you come on, man. Jeff plays this game with me. He, I never know where he's going to be sitting. I know a lot of very generous people. I didn't say I know a lot of wealthy people. I said I know a lot of generous people, and that's different things. Generosity is not, tied to, it's not a function of dollar figures. It's a function of the heart. This is what I know about givers. I don't know a single one of them who regrets a single dollar they ever gave. Every giver I know, every generous person I know is looking for ways to give more and more. They're looking for ways because they found a love of giving. And listen, God's no respecter of persons. If, if, you, if you want to have the grace to give, then just ask Him for it. His grace is sufficient. It's more than enough for you. And He's no respecter of persons. He'll do it for you as well. What's tithing all about, Pastor? Tithing, giving, it's, 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 it's about love. It's about love. For God so loved that He gave. And if we're going to be like Him, then we have to give as well. Today I'm going to give you a, a chance to step out on faith. I'm going to ask the ushers to come. I did this last year and I want to do it again this year. Uh, where They're going to pass out the tithe challenge cards. So this is a chance. It's not, it's not pressure. It's an opportunity. It's a chance for you to step out in faith. It's a chance for you to be committed. A chance for you to grow in the love of giving. And ushers, go ahead and pass these out now. Pass these cards out now if you would. As fast as you can. Go ahead and get these cards out. We did it last year, and I've heard wonderful testimonies of people about how God blessed them, how passionate they are about giving, how much they appreciated the opportunity and the challenge. You see, part of the role of pastor is to not just teach you the Word, but to sort of give you the nudge in the right direction, give you the opportunity to be obedient. And I also know how easy it is if you're not paying attention, you don't stay on top of stuff, then sometimes it, it, it slides away from you. 
Now listen, there's no pressure. We're not, we didn't number them, so we don't know who's got them. We're not counting them. It's an opportunity. God, here, here's the scriptural justification for this. God said in Malachi chapter 3, test me and see, test me in the tithe and see if I won't bless you. See if I won't provide for you. See if I won't open the windows of heaven over your life and, and, and give you what you need. That's the scriptural basis for this. And so what this is, a 90-day challenge. You're saying, John, for the next 90 days, I'm going to commit to this and I'm going to put God to the test. You're not testing me. You're testing God. So if you would, please fill out the top part, especially the email addresses, because I want, to, I want to send you some messages of encouragement over the next 90 days. I'll send you some scripture that's just going to help you keep drilling down and understanding God's plan for you as a giver. So if you haven't been giving, then that first blank is for you. If you'll just check that and say, John, for the next 90 days, I'm, I'm committing to bring the tithe to the storehouse. Every paycheck you get, no matter how big or small, you take that first 10% and you bring it to the storehouse. You can do it online, you can write a check, you can get it cashed, you, whatever you want to do, but you bring that 10% first. And if after 90 days of doing it correctly, you don't believe God's blessed you, you don't believe this is something you need to continue, then you are released from your commitment. You you got to take that up with God. Now, if you have been tithing and doing it faithfully, then thank you. And if you're committed to continuing to do that, that second blank's for you. Thank you for doing that. You're a blessing to me and to this church and to the kingdom of God. Now, lastly, if, you haven't been, if you've already been tithing consistently or if you haven't been and God's just stirring you up and you're going to dive headlong into this thing, then that third box is for you where you're not just going to tithe, you're going to give over and above that. You're going to set a tithing, uh, a giving goal for yourself. See, a lot of people believe that, that the tithe is the foundation, it's the obedience, but the offering is where the blessing comes from. I'll tell you this, the Bible's clear that when you give, you're rewarded by God. Generosity is rewarded by God, and the more generous you are with Him, the more generous He is to give back. So if you want to set a giving goal, above the tithe and offering, then you check that last box. Now listen, while you're thinking about it, praying about it, maybe sweating bullets over it, wherever you are with that, I, I want to I be honest with you. Valerie and I have been, we've been faithful to give tithe for years. And we've, we've hit a bump in the road here and there, but by and large, we have been faithful to tithe for years once we understood what tithing was all about. But I've always been very honest with you about my imperfections and about my flaws and my failures. My, my childhood was characterized probably by two things. One, we were poor. And two, we were religious. And that's turned into really kind of a bad combination for me. So how it plays out differently in other people's, in other people's lives. Some people come from poverty and they're very generous and, 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 and they just hold loosely to all that stuff. I, I didn't. I held tight to everything I got. All right, I was, I was, man, I was tight. And I held on to stuff. And I was prone to doing the things that I knew I was supposed to do, but only that. That's the religious part. You do what you're supposed to do. You don't go over and above. And so several years ago, actually standing in this pulpit, I began to ask God to help me become more generous. If y'all been around for four or five years, you remember that. I told you I was stingy and that I wanted God to change my heart. 
Listen, do you know in answer, in answer to that prayer, God did not give me more money? I asked to be generous and He did not give me more money. And I was a little offended by that. Apparently, you have to be generous first. Apparently, the generosity is not about getting extra money. It's about prioritizing the money that you have. It's about learning to become a giver. And it didn't happen overnight. But God's changing me and helping me. And there's actually been a time or two in the last year that Valerie actually got nervous about my, my, my generosity. She's like, well, slow your roll there, big boy. We got bills to pay. Listen, once you, once you get generous, it's hard to stop because, because you understand it and you, and you love it. And you love it. So this last year when, when we gave the tithe challenge, Valerie and I, she, she's the giver in the family. She said, I think we should do a certain percentage. So, so we stepped out in faith and we did. It was a stretch. It was a stretch for me. But I can tell you over and over and over and over again that God has blessed us for stepping out in faith and stretching ourselves. It's not dollar amounts. It's not dollar amounts. It's, it's obedience and it's, it's giving willingly and not grudgingly. And so we did. And we were, we were able to give, not just to the church, what we, what we committed, but to give to other people in other places. And it began to really break my old stingy heart. And so this year, we hit 2018. I thought I'd be spiritual. And so I went to Valerie and said, hey, baby, we're going to like... We're going to kind of ratchet up a little bit in our giving. We're going to try to take another step. And, and, and she was all about it. And, and I said, well, what do you think we need to do? And, and her response startled me. And so I said something spiritual like, woman, are you crazy? we got a wedding to pay for this year. You better calm down. And so we just, we, you know, we just didn't talk about it. We just kept doing what we were going to do. So as I, as, as I was preparing for this message, I can't stand in this pulpit and ask you to do something I'm not willing to do. And you'll never know. I mean, Missy will know. But you'll never know. But I, I can't do that. And so this weekend as I was preparing this and, and I was thinking through the altar call, I responded to my own altar, altar call. And I told Valerie, I said, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. What you, what you said God had placed in your heart, we're going to do it. We've gotten this far by faith. We're going to get the rest of the way by faith. So, so we're going to dive in with you. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray for you. And these guys are ready for me to get on with it so they can go receive the offering. But listen, I know what a struggle this is. I know what a stretch of faith it is for some of you. And that's okay. I'm not trying to put pressure on you. I'm trying to tell you, I feel the same pressure. I get it. So we're going to pray that you have courage and that you have strength and that, you're, that you learn how to step out in faith and that God will bless you. We're going to pray about all that stuff right now. And then the ushers are going to receive your tithes and offerings and these cards. And if you already know that what you want to do and how you want to do it, then drop that card in. And if you don't, then take it home and pray about it. Or if you're just like, I'm not doing this, that's cool. Fold it up, stick it in your Bible or in your pocket, and we won't ever talk about it again. But if you want to bring it back, start next week. This is between you and God. But I'm committing to you. I'm going to pray for you. Every week I'm going to call each of your names in prayer and ask that God will show up in your life and provide for you and help you and give you what you need over and above. Let's pray.
Father. We pray that you've been blessed and inspired by today's Covenant Living broadcast with Pastor John Butler. You can hear today's message in its entirety by visiting our website at covenantlifewestga.org. You can find this video there on our homepage. Just click the YouTube button and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. Give us a call at 770-537-3747. That's 770-537-3747. At Covenant Life, our mission is to go and make disciples by being real, relational, and reaching. Be sure to join us next week for more Covenant Living with Pastor John Butler.